Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, uh, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm really glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 as we continue in this series that we are in right now uh, called World Upside Down. And um, if you are new here or if you've just joined us recently or if you're uh, you know, on, on vacation or like, you know, I can tell the difference between those of you who are starting vacation, by the way, and those of you who are ending vacation, all right? We just ended ours last night. Uh, we went back to the place that we moved uh, from. From uh, to Hilton Head uh, 12 years ago now, uh, we went back to New York City, and uh, it was a uh, mixture of a vacation, and I heard some of you laugh at that. That's funny. Like, I think you're laughing at picturing me in New York City. Maybe that's what it is. I get it. I'm cool with that. Fine with that. Very secure about that. So anyway, we had a good time. Uh, had a great time, and uh, so I know what it's like to kind of, you know, end vacation. I can tell on some of your faces that's what's going on. Some of you who are local Hilton Head, you guys are getting ready to start. Way to go have fun. Uh, We're in the midst of the summer, but we are continuing in the series that we started uh, called World Upside Down. And it stems from a a little verse right in the middle of Acts where someone indicates that these people of the first church who call themselves followers of the way uh, are coming to their town. And they're irritated and they're annoyed because these people that have been turning the world upside down are now here. And so we've been really talking about and focusing on the impact that Christians should be making, that we who call ourselves followers of Jesus should be making. And that's something that uh, we kind of use loosely in our day and age, that word Christian, isn't it? It's something that we use. We say, hey, I'm a Christian or, you know, someone else is a Christian or this, you know, this is Christian music or this is a Christian store or Christian food, Chick-fil-A. So, like, we kind of use that term Christian and we identify certain things as, as Christian, but that wasn't always the case. And so we're into this whole series on the book of Acts, and we were a little bit random there for a while, but now we've gotten back into kind of the chronological step-by-step, you know, uh, following these these first people called Christians. But up until Acts chapter 11, um, these people were identified as followers of the way. The whole term Christian had not been coined yet, and it took a long time for that term to be coined. And then finally, as we're going to read here in a moment, someone else identified them as Christians. Identity is an interesting thing. It's a term that we use a lot in our day and age, isn't it? Our culture is really kind of taken with the idea of identity. And who we are and what we do or what we accomplish is something that kind of speaks to our identity. And we can say that we are, you know, identify with a certain characteristic or a certain part of who we are, a certain accomplishment. We can say that, but until someone else says it, it really doesn't have that great of an impact. You know, we can graduate and we can call ourselves, uh, you know, people who are graduates, We can go to school and we can call ourselves students. Um, We can um, say the words I do and we can say we're married. By the way, um, today we are celebrating, Cynthia and I are celebrating 23 years of being married. So 
Happy anniversary, honey. She has stayed with me for nearly a quarter of a century. That is a miracle, I tell you. Uh, but, you know, that day that we said I do to each other um, on that Saturday afternoon in Lynchburg, Virginia, um, we were married and people viewed us as married because we publicly said that um, some of you will be following in believer's baptism and you will publicly be saying, I identify with Jesus. Boy, but until someone else says it, really doesn't have that big of an impact. And so we see here in Acts chapter 11 that finally these people who were once called followers of the way, mainly Jews who had decided to follow Jesus and had decided to turn everything that they knew religiously around for the cause of this man named Jesus who was now dead, who had risen again, and a lot of people still doubted it. Until this point, they were the only ones that really identified themselves with Jesus until chapter 11 of Acts. Let's take a look. We're going to be reading 19 through 26. Let's take a look this morning. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. I think this is a pretty important part of the story of the first church. I mean, to think about this was over 2,000 years ago that someone called these followers of Jesus Christians for the first time, and here we are today, and the world still calls us Christians. That's a pretty important moment. It's kind of a hinge moment. And today what I want to look at is, is why now? Why at this point in the story were they identified as Christians? Why now? Why at this point in the story did the people of the world, the people who viewed them and saw what they did, why now? Why wasn't it when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2? Why wasn't it when they, they got the word from God that they were to go out beyond just Jerusalem with this gospel message? Why wasn't it when they healed the first man? Or why wasn't it when they were turned to a guy by the name of Stephen, and after a very short period of time, he became the first Christian martyr. Why now did they just call them Christians? 
And I believe that in this passage, we can learn something of the mindset of these people who once had been called, called followers of the way, and now they became Christians. They were called Christians at this point in time. They were already Christians, weren't they? They had already made that decision long ago. They had already been empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do the work that they were doing. Why now? And I think that's because enough time had passed that they truly understood the extent of the reach that God had intended for redemption. They understood the power of God behind the story of redemption. They truly understood that God's message of redemption and salvation wasn't meant for just a small group of people. I think that they understood some of the things that I want us to learn and discover today. The first thing is this, that people are more open to the message of Jesus when life gets turned upside down. You see, I think these people who were once called followers of the way and now called Christians were called Christians because they truly understood these three principles, the first one being that people are more open to the message of Jesus when life gets turned upside down. How many of you were in church on the Sunday after 9-11? I know some of you weren't born back then, but how many of you were in church somewhere in the world? Not here, because we didn't exist here, all right? So how many of you were in church on the Sunday after 9-11? Do you remember the Sunday after 9-11? Was there a seat left in the church that you were in? I know for ours there wasn't. It was standing room only. It was standing room only. And for several weeks after the most tragic event in, in the life of our modern history in America, people were open to spiritual things like no other time. And they came to churches, they filled churches in this country to overflowing for a week or two or maybe three. And then after the tragedy passed, there was room in those churches, wasn't there? We see it on a public scale that when there's a public crisis, when there's a major public upheaval, that people are drawn to find answers. And I think these first Christians understood that. Check this out in Acts 1 verse 19. Um, so much hinged from Stephen's stoning. So much hinged from that first person who was martyred for the, the sake of the gospel. And we see it once again here. We saw it a few weeks ago. We see it here in verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, there's two really important parts of this verse. Maybe even you could say maybe there's a lot of different parts of this verse. But there's two important things, and we're going to get to the second one in a moment. But I want you to see that there was something that happened here that was tragic among these Christ followers, among these first Christians, there was something tragic that was going on in the world, and that is, is this man by the name of Saul, who you heard about from Jerry. I'm so thankful for Jerry McCarron for standing in for me last week um, and uh, uh, preaching uh, about Saul and his conversion and how he became Paul. And um, Paul uh, once was this great Christian killer, and he ordered the death of Stephen the first Christian martyr. And so much happened because what happened from that point on is that these people who were part of the first church all of a sudden were just scattered all over the place. 
imagine what they were feeling. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine if it were to happen today. Like, imagine what would happen today if there was something that would happen here or somewhere else in the, in, in the world uh, where uh, people were persecuted for the sake of the gospel. By the way, it happens every Sunday all around the world still today. But imagine if it were to, ha- were to happen here. We would be filled with fear. We would be filled with, with an anxiety, maybe an anticipation of what's going on. Why are we being persecuted for the sake of Christ? There'd be questions, and we wouldn't know exactly what God was doing in the midst of this persecution. And I'm sure, I'm sure that that's how they felt back then. They were forced to be spread all over the place. But listen, I want you to hear this today. God knew what he was doing. God knew that he would take a tragic event like the stoning of the first Christian, the first man who was persecuted and killed for the sake of the gospel. He took that tragic situation like we just sang about a few minutes ago and he turned that into something that would be good for the spread of the gospel. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For good. And he is especially concerned about the good of the spread of the gospel. He used a tragic event. He used a terrible event like the stoning, the persecution of the first Christ follower to expand the reach of the gospel message. Had that event not happened, the gospel might have still been held back. That message may have still been held back. So the question I think that we need to ask this morning is, do we as Christians display confidence in peaceful hearts to the world around us when tragedy occurs? I've been speaking about tragedy like it's on a a national scale or an international scale, a world event, but people have tragedy all the time in their own personal lives, and that's the moment that they turn to the church or they turn to God or they turn to something. And listen, Christ follower, I think it's our job as Christ followers, just like it was for the first church, to be available and to help introduce them to the one that can truly solve their greatest need. And that is their need for salvation. It's a need that lasts for eternity. And so these first Christians, I think part of the reason they were called Christians was because they understood that people are more open in the message of Jesus Christ when life gets turned upside down. One of the goals that I have as a church is that we as a church would be the first call in the moment of crisis. That's not so that our name could be plastered all over the paper. It's you know, the island packet, that's fine, whatever. I don't care about that. That wasn't a slam on the island packet. Let me just be clear on that, okay? All right, that may have sounded that way, but it really wasn't, okay? Uh, I'm just saying that that's not the purpose. The purpose is, is that we would be there when crisis happens. That our mission to passionately share the message of Jesus and lead people to follow him would be accelerated during a time of crisis. That's why I want our church to be there for our community when crisis happens. It's why I want us individually to be there when people go through crisis. But there's something else that I think these first Christians understood, and that is simply this. The message of Jesus Christ is for everyone. 
the message of Jesus Christ is for everyone. I think that our natural tendency is to connect with people who are like us and like us. You know what I mean by that? Our natural tendency is when we connect spiritually with people that we do it with people who are like us. And that's natural and that's normal. I think God can use that in a great way. Uh, but, but I think that we limit ourselves. Listen, Christ follower, I think we limit ourselves when we limit who we're going to engage with spiritually. God's message of redemption and salvation is for everyone. We see in verse 19 that these first... This first group of people, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But look what they were doing. Speaking the word to who? No one. Except the Jews. But God's message of salvation was for the Jews and for the Gentiles. For the whole world. Not just one group of people. And our natural tendency is to connect spiritually with people who are like us and like us. People who look like us, who act like us. People who are like us. People who actually do like us. And that's normal and that's natural and God can use that. But I think that we severely limit God's work in and through us when all we engage with are people who we're familiar with and are comfortable with. We can connect with, and God can use us to have a spiritual impact on those who may not look like us. In verse 20, we see it. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who upon coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. In chapter 7, we read about Greek-speaking Jews. And how the message went beyond just Jews to Greek-speaking Jews. But this is a different group of people. This was a different class of people. And I mentioned it a few weeks ago that the Romans and some of the Greeks, and these were Greeks, were kind of on the outside of society looking in. They were kind of marginalized, pushed to the edge. And we see here that the gospel message goes beyond Greek-speaking Jews and all of a sudden, Hellenist Jews, people, or people who were Greek, I'm sorry, who were of Greek origin, began to receive the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. Listen, the, the people of that day, the Christians of that day, because they, were, they, they grew up Jewish, most of them, they believed that anyone who wasn't Jewish was unclean. And here these men are going to the ones who are considered unclean and preaching the message of Jesus. Why shouldn't we then? If God's message of redemption is for everyone, then our level of spiritual engagement should be to everyone. Listen, church, we have to widen our scope. We have to widen our perspective. We have to put on a different lens in terms of who we believe that we can impact for the gospel message. Yes, it is those people who we are like and who like us, but the power of God in us can reach beyond that. Don't let yourself be limited to just reaching people 
who are like you and who like you? Do we as Christians share the message of Christ with everyone in our sphere of influence. And let me stop here for a moment and just say, because I know that what some of you are thinking, I even kind of was working through this as I was preparing this message before we went on vacation in New York City, and I thought, but wait a minute. I probably don't have anyone like this in my sphere of influence. And then we went to New York City, and there's not too many people that look like this in New York City. And once again, I was reminded of how many people who are already in my life who aren't necessarily like me and don't necessarily like me that God may give me the opportunity to speak to about this message, this most important message. And then thirdly, the third thing I think that we can learn that these people understood in the first church is this, and and this is, for some of you, this is the the take-home point, that we have Everything that we need to be confident to share the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be just honest for a second. Walking up to someone who you don't know and sharing with them the message of Jesus randomly out of the blue is a way to do this. But let's face it, it's probably not the best way. And in our day and age, whether you live on Hilton Head Island or whether you live in New York City or anywhere in between, probably somewhere in Ohio for half the crowd, you, I get it. Like, there are places you can't do that without having some kind of, like, you know, legal issue on your hands. I get it. So what's the message for us? I think that we approach the whole idea of engagement. Listen, I'm not talking about sharing the message of Jesus yet. I'm talking about spiritual engagement with friends and people who are in your life, maybe employees, maybe people who are in your sphere of influence in your neighborhood. I think that we have this idea that we're at a disadvantage. I know I do sometimes. I buy into that. I buy into the lie that I'm at a disadvantage. I'm not educated enough. I didn't learn how to evangelize people well enough, or at all, maybe in your case. I haven't had enough experience. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to not be offensive. I don't know how to be bold enough. And we make excuses and excuses and excuses, and we think that we're at a disadvantage. If you think that you're at a disadvantage, imagine what these people in the first century thought. They were at a huge disadvantage, yet they engaged with people spiritually, yet they connected with people spiritually. We don't have any kind of disadvantage compared to this first church. This is so interesting because what happened here is is that there's this report that these people who weren't Jews are coming to know Christ. And word gets back to Jerusalem, the church there, and the Christians are like, this doesn't sound right. Like the message of Jesus is really only for the religious, so we need to go investigate this. Check out what happens here. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and it wasn't like they were like, yeah, that's awesome what's going on up there, um, just a little bit north of us. Like, they were concerned about this. 
and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas wasn't his real name. His real name was something like Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname that the church gave him, and it meant son of encouragement. Isn't that cool? They gave him a nickname, son of encouragement. And they sent Barnabas up there, and they said, we need, to, we need you to go investigate this because we're really suspicious that this is happening. It can't be happening. And when he came, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He, ex- he exhorted them all, that means encouraged them, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people added, were added to the Lord. Listen, what Barnabas does here when he arrives is he validates that the spread of the gospel message did go beyond Jews, did go beyond Jewish Christians, went beyond Greek-speaking Jews, and went into the Gentile world. He sees it, he validates it, but what he does here, I think, is he validates the power of God for the common person to engage spiritually with irreligious people. He talks about the fact that when he arrives, he sees the grace of God. He gives credit to God and the power of God. He tells them to remain faithful to God. You notice that he doesn't say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. He tells them to remain faithful. Uh, faithful to the Lord, to remain close to the Lord, because he realizes that what is going on is because of the relationship with God. The power of the spread of the gospel didn't come from man. It came from God. And when we as people think that we're at a great disadvantage in terms of engaging with people out there in the world spiritually, we limit the power of God to use us. We limit who God is. And I want you to know something today, that he can use you in a miraculous and a mighty way to reach people in your life, people that you don't know, people that you may not know now, people that you do know now, friends, neighbors, people who are struggling, people who have had victories, He can use you and me to tell others about Jesus and to engage with people spiritually. The question is, is do we as Christians listen or do we ignore the Holy Spirit when we feel prompted to share the message of Jesus? Do we ignore or do we listen? See, I don't think it's as much about feeling at a disadvantage, I think that we just make up the excuse to just ignore God on this. I want to end with this question. I want you to ask this of yourself. Do I live every day with the message of Jesus as the center of my life? I'm just going to be really honest with you for a moment. This is where pastors get in trouble, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. I left for vacation a week ago a little bit... um, cynical. Uh, A little bit in a bad mood about some things with me and God. Have you been there before? Am I the only one in the room that has been in that position before? I certainly hope not. It took us spending a week in New York for him to open my eyes once again to how much he wants us to love him 
and how much he wants us to love people for the sake of the gospel. It took me getting away, which is fine, and seeing people who, quite honestly, don't smell very good, who don't have it all together, who live a different way than I do. We lived there for two years, and I had forgotten it. I had forgotten it. You see, the, the mission that God put us on is simply to love him and to love people. And I had let a little bitterness and a little bit of cynicism slip into my life that prevented me, that was beginning to prevent me from seeing people the way that Jesus saw people. And I would imagine if that's happening to me, it probably and may be happening to some of you. So my challenge is, is, do we, do I, live every day with the message of Jesus as the center of my life? You see, when we do that, then our lens is going to be the same lens as Jesus all the time. And we can turn our world upside down. And then people will identify us as Christians. Father God, I pray that you would help each one of us in this place to have a tenderness, a compassion towards people around us. Those we know, those we don't know, friends, people that we work with, people that we go to school with, family members. God, people that we, that we may not have even developed a, a sincere friendship with yet. God, I pray that you would lead us as a church to have your lens on, not just sometimes, but God, that we would do it every day, that we would live each and every day with that as the center of our world. Father God, I pray that you would help us when we get discouraged, when bitterness slips in, when cynicism slips in, when a lack of forgiveness slips in, when we're irritated or when we're grouchy or when we're angry. God, I pray that we wouldn't lose that level of compassion that you had towards people who ended up putting you on a cross. God, that's, um, that's what's going to let the world know that we're Christians. It's beyond just the love that we have for each other. It's the love that we have for the world. And God, I pray that in those moments that we as Christ followers, those, those of us who are here today who are Christians, begin to let those things slip in and limit our thinking, limit your power, limit the extent of the reach of the gospel, God, I pray that we would recognize what you did for us and that would help change our perspective. That you would help us reset immediately where we are in terms of seeing the world the way that first church did and ended up turning the world upside down. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, for going to the cross for giving us salvation, 
for redeeming us from our sins, for giving us your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. And it is the power that we can utilize to engage with people spiritually. God, for giving us a spiritual inheritance that sometimes we don't even realize that we have at our disposal. God, I pray that we would be a group of people who truly loves the world, all of the world, the way that you did. And God, that we would be aligned, that our hearts would be aligned with your hearts, that our mission would be aligned with your mission, that our passion be aligned with your passion. And God, I pray that you would help us to do it today. Help us to do it with the server that we see at lunch. Help us to do it with the person that we engage with tomorrow morning at work or at school. God, I pray that you would help us to do it in our homes. God, I pray that we would be people who are moved to compassion, just like you were, to go to the cross for us. And I pray all of this in the strong and the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus.